Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show. We're certainly happy to have you here. We've got a great guest today, Allie Worthington. Allie is an Enneagram 7, and she is a business coach and advisor. She's worked with Disney, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft. She's been on the Today Show. She is the author of The Year of Living Happy, Fierce Faith, and Breaking Busy. Ian has a fantastic conversation with Allie. I know you're going to enjoy this. Really, really helpful conversation. A very self-aware Enneagram 7. A lot to glean from this. Uh, she brings a lot of treasure to this conversation. So can't wait for you to hear it. And without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Allie Worthington, welcome to Typology. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, I am so excited to have you on. You, best-selling author, business coach, author. Man, you have a portfolio life. And Enneagram 7. I am. I mean, doesn't that speak to the, the life of an Enneagram 7 to want to do so many things? It absolutely does. I, um, I'm glad you said that because... It's true. Sevens, like when I'm coaching, when, you know, when I'm doing corporate work, mm -hmm. people ask me, what do I do with this guy because or this woman? Because they're so talented, mm. but they are so unwieldy. You, you know what I mean? Like I just, they're <laughs> all over the map. And I'm like, you need to give them a very long leash and uh, make sure that their job description is varied. Um, like that they have four or five things they do so that they can move around like a portfolio and go, okay, today I'm going to do this and I'm going to move to that. And I said, if you do that, it'll be great. If you trap them into one thing, they will last about three months. You know, it's funny. I have always been an entrepreneur, but I took about three and a half years off to help build a ministry for a friend. So it's funny when she asked me to come work for her, I said, absolutely not. I know myself, I would make a terrible employee. Like I have enough self-awareness to know this should not happen. Mm. Well, it ended up happening and it was a wonderful experience, but when I had not taken an Enneagram test, everyone told me I was a three, everyone assumed I was a three and I was traveling to go speak somewhere one weekend and I brought your book with me and I read about type seven and I cried on the plane because oh, everything yeah. in my life professionally was exactly what was sucking the life out of me. And that was this realization. I've got to find something else like this. I, I, what I thought was wrong about me was actually me just being a seven and I didn't have to apologize for it. And I didn't have to keep fitting mm. myself into a box. And I didn't have to apologize for it anymore. I felt, I felt so liberated on that flight to Seattle, crying in front of strangers, realizing there's nothing wrong. I'm just a seven. Let's just close the show right there. Because that is like, <laughs> seriously, like, well, first of all, as, as an author, you know, as you know, writing is a pretty solitary game, right? And so when you hear somebody say something like that, that they had a moment with something, you know, you're like, oh. God, I guess that was worth it. Secondly, um, I, I think one of the things that the Enneagram does is allow people to experience the moment of alignment. And they say, oh, I thought there was, 
I thought, I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And then they, they have this moment where it's like, nah, mm-hmm. it's not that at all. It's just that I'm this person. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so beautiful. So I'm glad to hear that that happened for you. Oh, so yeah. Excited. It was li- completely life changing. Yeah. <sighs> Never look back. You have a book dropping soon, right? In September. Mm-hmm. Standing Strong, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Adversity and Living with Confidence. I want to hear the backstory. Well, it's quite interesting. I really, as a seven, it's interesting that I write books about struggle, but I feel like my lot in life as an author is to go through something to figure out what I've learned in it and then write about those lessons. With Standing Strong, what happened for me is right about the time I realized from your book, everything I'm doing professionally isn't working for me. Mm. At the same time, I knew it was time for me to leave my job. Um, really felt called to leave, but was terrified to leave. For me, mm. my husband and I have five sons. I like to say, I like to start businesses. Like I like to have children. I like a lot of them. <laughs> and I like a lot of experiences. <laughs> But I'm, I'm running this ministry for a friend. I know that my season there needs to be up, but I'm terrified to leave. We had, my husband is a stay home dad. He's retired from his job, but he had just come started going into remission from an illness that he had for many years. Mm. So we have all these kids, I have a husband who's sick and, and all of this pressure on me. And for me to kind of go, okay, I feel this calling. I know it's time to go back on my own self-doubt is really what came in and held me back because Mm -hmm. as a seven, you want to know you're going to be okay. You don't want to be stuck in pain. You don't want to do anything where you're not only potentially going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt everyone around you. So I kind of use my story as the narrative arc, but really standing strong is just a message to women and men for that point to be careful to not let self-doubt take us out. Okay. So do you have a six wing? Okay. Now this is, this is where I get to ask you all the good questions. I oh. feel like I have a six wing in my personal life, but I feel like I have an eight wing when it comes to my work. Interesting. Yes. Like I will, I'll build a new business. I'll launch a right. new program. I'll do anything. I'm fearless. I'll go for it. But my seven wing makes me be like, should I should I have a year's worth of freeze-dried food just in case the economy crashes? So I'm fearless in one sense, but in the other sense, I'm like, especially with COVID, I was like, well, I knew I should have been a stockpiler all this time and I've missed my chance and now we don't have toilet paper. Right, right, (laughs) yeah. So the the six wing was in full effect in spring um, to some degree, but in in my work, I'm relatively fearless and, and like to push and and I I'm, I'm tend to be more assertive and aggressive. Oh, you have brought up such a great point, and I'm so grateful because, um, so I just launched a course. It's called True You, mm-hmm. a, a Deeper Exploration into Your Enneagram Type. And the reason I did it, I'm being shamelessly self-promotional right now at the expense of our time. Oh, well. As you, so, as you um, should. Hello. You, well, no, because it really, it, it does relate. I'm not, I wasn't looking for an opportunity to, to do this. But the, the, the deal is um, this course was designed because most of the time there's a great, there are great courses out there in the Enneagram, but they go through all nine types. 
So your type only usually gets 30 minutes, maybe, right? So what I did is I designed this course where um, there are nine different trainings, 90 minutes each. So I do a deep dive into each type's like instincts, subtypes, wings, passions, virtues, right? But it goes deeper and you can cherry pick. So you could say, oh, I just want to do the one on seven. Or I want to do, what's your husband's number? A three. Okay. I want to do seven and I want to do three. So I'm just going to pull those two out and and get those. Or whatever. How old are your kids? 12 to 21. Oh, okay. So that's perfect. You could say, I want to get, I really don't understand my four. You know, so I'm going to grab that one and blah, blah, blah. Right. You can cherry pick. But one of the things I say about wings is that I believe that people tend to think, oh, I'm a seven with a six wing, period. Mm. And it's static. And what they don't understand is that the Enneagram is so fluid and dynamic. It, it, you know, that's why the whole system is set up this way with lines and arrows flying all over the place. It's not like you stay in one place with a wing and you're stuck with that combination, right? Mm-hmm. I like to think of those wings as being not just merely descriptors that sharpen your understanding of your core type, but actually they're resource points. So you can, I think, at home say in your personal life, I have to lean into my six wing here. I have five children. I have a husband who is sick, six, uh, sick, and I need to be ready for what could come. You, you know, it's just so unconsciously, you're migrating over toward the resources and the thinking of that six, right? And then in your business life, you're like, I can't afford to be this self-doubting, right? Mm. I can't afford it. So I'm going to lean into my eight wing. And in that sphere, that's where I'm drawing gifts and energies and traits from. And I'm telling people all the time, listen, don't wait to do that unconsciously because you can actually just do it consciously like just decide okay i got i got to do seven with six right now and i can because that's part of the dynamic of who i am because there's no such thing as a wing there's no such thing as a bird that flies well with one wing that's a great point right you have two wings and they're both available to you now one will be dominant but it doesn't mean that the other one can't work for you. I love it because that is one of the things with, with Enneagram trainings. You get just a little piece of about you. As a business coach, one of the first things I do with my clients is I have them go through the whole test. And then as we're working on their business, I'm also leading them on, okay, go to this resource, go to this. So I feel like that course would be amazing because it's so in-depth. Right. And I actually use it in the corporate world. And even though I self-identify as a person of faith, uh, it's very friendly for anybody. Uh, so, so, so I can use it in corporate because if it gets all faithy, corporate people get all wigged out, right? So uh, it's a really good thing to have something where I, I think both audiences will feel like they got what they needed, you know, um, that was very intentional on, uh, on my part. All right. So uh, what is in your mind standing strong? What does that mean? 
What does the, beyond what the book even says, like, what does that feel like? What is that like for a seven to stand strong? I think, well, for me as a seven, it looks like not being panicked when things are difficult and things are painful because right. I think I look back now understanding the Enneagram and so much of my life makes sense of how I was always one to reject other people before they can reject me. Right. And because I couldn't deal with the potential pain that could come along with relationships. So I was quick right. to end them. It's a miracle. My husband and I have been married forever. <laughs> um, so for me, standing strong looks like living life, knowing that things are difficult, that we do have a lot of struggles, that we will have to live in a, in a amount of pain, depending on what season of life we're in, but that we will be okay. Mm. And so much of, I think, what we need to do to move forward as, we're, as we all find ourselves in you know, the craziness of 2020, what's so important for us right now is a level of self-awareness so we don't accidentally take ourselves out of the game before we ever get a chance to run again because the, the self-doubt, the uncertainty, the beating ourselves up, the, the inner critic those are all things that come at us. And if we don't learn to manage those things and have self-awareness about how we're living and our thought matter, our thoughts and our mindset, we're going to get taken out by these things with how hard life is right now. Man, you have actually just given me a question that I am going to ask all my sevens, which is how have you coped with 2020? Because just when you turn around, right? There's something else. You like turn around like, oh, great. California is burning down. Oh, great. There are tornadoes running through Nashville. We have COVID. We, it's like it just it just seems to be mounting all the time. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to ask my sevens, like, how are you coping in a world where pain and suffering and mm. confusion is inescapable? Well, mm. I'm very familiar with hard times. So I grew up in poverty, kind of pulled myself out of that. I was a stay-at-home mom for many years of my kids. When my fifth son was born, we lost our home and were homeless, lost everything we owned except what fit into two little pod storage units, had to live with my grandfather for, for a summer. And um, my husband would, um, we'd go to McDonald's Playland every day. The kids would play. My husband would send his resume out everywhere. And I would Google, how do you start a business on the internet? Because wow. I didn't have time to do anything but figure out how to make money. Right. That was 2008. And business blew up. Things were great. Things were wonderful, amazing, doing all the things that a seven likes to do. And then my husband got sick. Mm. And I felt like life crashed down around me. And so we went through years of, of him being very, very sick, not sure if he was going to make it. And then he comes out of sickness I leave the job that I took that gave me security in a really hard season, build my business back again. And I'm like, okay, this is it. 2020 is the year. I'm launching a book. I had great speaking events all the time. I'm as a seven. My heart is in amusement parks. If I go, I want to ride a roller coaster 10 times in a row. We had this great <laughs> vacation where we went to Disney and Universal and we did all the things. And then just like that, life shuts down. Mm -hmm. And for me in March, it threw me way into the six wing. I was sure everybody's companies were going to fall apart. Everything was going to fall apart. It's basically the end of the world and we're going to live under a bridge. And so I had, I had these weeks where I would do a coaching call, you know, with clients who are 
who are trying to manage their surgery center when no one can do elective surgeries and I'm giving them advice and telling them what to do. But then I would get off the phone and I'd cry because I was mm -hmm. managing my own terror of what in the world is going to happen. Um, and starting in April, I realized, okay, the world isn't going to melt down. We are going to survive this thing. This isn't the end of the world. And I started to calm down. And at this point, as a seven, I kind of wake up and look at the news every day and check the dumpster fires. I said before, that's Twitter and go, okay, everything sucks, but we're still standing. Yeah. We're going to get through this. It's not going to be the end of the world, but man, it is, it is tough on a seven. You know, it is tough on a seven. Um, probably easier for a four, you know, because we just sort of in, anticipate that life is hard. We actually kind of come alive in difficult moments, um, particularly for others, you know, like being present, like mm -hmm. just being there for other people when they're struggling, you know. Um, but I, one of my favorite books that, you know, came out years ago, and it's a great business book, as you know, The Art of Possibility, mm. and um, written by, what's his name, Xander, uh, uh, who is the principal conductor of the Boston Symphony, and it, it's such a great book for personal self-development, but also, if you're doing anything in the corporate world, this book is a must-read, and I'm sure that most consults have read it, but if you haven't, my gosh, read this book. But one of the things that his wife mentions in the book, which is so brilliant, they have these 10 rules or these, you know, whatever, uh, is, you know, basically accepting where you, accepting life as it is, like life on life's terms. Th this is, you don't get to determine the terms. And, mm -hmm. but learning to accept life on life's terms um, means that, what it's almost like what Thomas Merton said where, no, it wasn't Merton, it was Montagna who said, you know, he who resists suffering suffers most. Yes. It's the resistance. It's not the pain that's bad. It's the resistance to the pain that hurts. Yeah, there was a book, uh, an M. Scott Peck book, mm -hmm. and he starts out, I I'm going to butcher it. You probably know the line, how once we, once we accept that life is hard, it can stop shocking us that it's hard and we can yes. make peace with it and move on. And that to me, gosh, probably read that 25 years ago. It was life changing that yeah. as long as I keep being shocked that things are hard, it's going to keep throwing me off. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, his, the first line of the book is life is difficult. Yes. That, it was such a sort of a famous uh, opening line for a book because, um, you know, it, immediately everybody went, yeah, you know, it, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, life is difficult. And the sooner you accept it, the better off you'll be is essentially what that opening paragraph says. Yeah. So now there's another book everybody needs to read. It is about... 30 years old, but so that means that there's a ton of people out there who are too young to have read it, and they should. Um, and it's a great book for sevens. Oh, it is. And, you know, one of the things that I, I coach my clients on and, and I talk about a lot is sometimes when things are difficult, when we keep going up against challenges, we take that as a sign that we're not supposed to do what we're doing. Right. Mm. And when we, as soon as we feel uncomfortable, as soon as things feel difficult, we go, oh, this, I thought this was for me. 
but this isn't for me. I'm going to go on a path where things are easy. And I think we miss out on so much in life by not just saying the pain that I'm feeling, the difficulty that I'm feeling, this is all part of me getting to where I'm supposed to go. Right, right. One of my one of my favorite questions uh, to ask clients, um, not original to me, when they're when they hit a bump in the road, and it's one that I ask myself a lot, you know, is and I'm sure you use this question too, which is, okay, you've just described a problem, you've just described a crisis, and your question is, how do I get things back to the way they used to be, which is the wrong question, right? Yeah. The right question is. What does this make possible? You know, so it's like you just turn, you know how questions are. Like it's the thing that we, in the world of consulting, it's the thing that we, the gift we have to craft, we have to learn, you know, is, the, is that the disequilibrating question that turns the person on their head. Uh, and you say, okay, well, okay, so this division just died or you've had this scandal. What does this now make possible? That was not possible before, you know? And I think of 2020 like that, man. It's like, and sevens could ask that question. Any number could ask that question. When they hit pain to say, what does this make possible for me? Yeah. Mm. Instead of, how do I get out of here? You know? <laughs> how do I yeah. get out of here? Because there's so much, you know, even though we still can't really do much. Um, as a seven, I'm always looking for the excitement. I'm driving three hours west to go to a drive through safari park, uh, you know, drive-in movies, whatever it is. And, and I've had to be really careful to manage myself as a seven, not to try to numb out. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've binge watched a couple of different series already. Um, as a seven, I don't pace myself well. It's not like I'm going to watch one every night. I'm going to stay no. up till four in the morning and I'm going to watch That's seven right. episodes. Yeah. So, uh, just being being self aware to not numb out in this season, I right. feel like it's really good for me. Yeah, I always think that one of the books I'd like to write, um, actually, the book I'm writing on now actually could could be this title. It's just called Living Wide Awake. You know, like that that as, as another way of saying living with more self knowledge, self uh, awareness, self observation, and self regulation. You know, like just being able to say. I got to be awake, man. Like, I, I'm only going to do this thing once. So I, I really need, to, I'd like to go through it fully conscious, like with conscious awareness and intentionality would be a really good way to spend most of my life versus wandering around like in a half sleep state, you know, which is where most people seem to, to live. And that is the power of questions is they tend to wake us up, you know? Yeah, totally. All right, you know, let's talk about the inner critic for a second because as we all know, uh, sevens, when they're not in a great space, where do they go? Oh, I don't have an, well, here, okay, two things. This is, okay, okay. this is interesting. This will be fine for you to pick it apart. I don't actually have an inner critic. Um, really? So when I'm writing about the inner critic, I have to interview a lot of people who do have a really loud inner critic to know how to serve people. Well, in fact, the Enneagram I feel like has made me a better writer because any, anything I'm teaching, like if a, there's a chapter on community or a chapter on communication, chapter on anything in the books, I make sure to look at my advice through the lens of each of the numbers. So, Great. and I have, I have people who are different numbers, read the manuscript 
and give me feedback on if there's something relevant to them because otherwise I'll just write a book for sevens. So yeah, That's I don't right. have an inner critic, but I am really quite horrible when I'm under stress because that's when I become critical. I'm nitpicky. I'm harsh. Um, I will, I will just find fault and, and be horrible. I've, I've been that person under stress as a leader. I, embarrassed about it in the past but now I recognize like it happens with my kids or it can happen with friends and when I'm when I'm in that that's my big red flag that I'm not doing well that I'm under that's stress right. and I need to get yeah. It under control <clears throat> yeah you typically go to the low side of one yeah to, right so and I say typically because people surprise us all the time and whenever we talk about personality we're talking about probabilities not absolutely certain prediction um, and that's interesting that you don't have an inner critic in that space. Yes, what you does don't that take mean? on that Analyze me. Of the one. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting that you don't take on that particular trait of the one. Um, I'm a four, which I think has the second loudest inner critic on the Enneagram. Mm. So, you know, you I know in the book you talk about dealing with the inner critic. So help me. Because <laughs> I've, I've got one, man. So I, I talk to so many friends about how their inner critic behaves, what's going on. And, and so I really have this thought that many people think that the inner critic is a higher version of themselves. And if they just listen to that inner critic, they will do things better. They'll perform better. They'll be a better husband or wife or employee. And I think of the inner critic kind of as a, a mentally unstable nanny, just screaming at us all the time. Like I picture the inner critic as like a Mrs. Doubtfire. A Mrs. <laughs> because the inner critic doesn't know more than we know. The inner critic isn't trying to help us achieve some, something great. The inner critic is just trying to keep us safe and to make sure that we don't fall down and we don't make mistakes like a mentally unstable nanny, right? Just screaming right. after us all the time. Mm. And when we shift the focus to, oh, this, this voice in my head isn't helping me be better. This voice is just terrified that I'm going to do anything that's going to hurt me or make me feel uncomfortable. But the only way we do anything in life is to make mistakes and to do things that make us feel uncomfortable. So I feel like that little shift in thinking with the inner critic takes some of the power away. The inner critic doesn't mm. know more than we do. Yes. And in fact, going back to that book, The Art of Possibility, um, he talks uh, about doing a master class with a bunch of musicians, I think at the New England Conservatory. And, you know, as you can imagine, inner critics inside of young musicians or actors or stuff like that is outrageous right anthony uh was a songwriter you know early on man Woo, oh, yeah. mistakes are tough and that inner critic is saying this song sucks or this book sucks or that sentence you, you know it's like oh that's not faulkner it's like well it's kind of weird you thought you were going to write like faulkner but um <laughs> you know he was talking about this cellist that he was working with um and um um that at the end of this this guy's performance, he felt so much shame, right, mm. around minor mistakes, right? And there's two ways that he responded. One was, when you make mistakes, throw your hands up in the air and yell, how fascinating. Y you know what I mean? Like, just throw your hands up in the air and go, how fascinating, uh, rather than, oh, I'm such a pain in the You know, it's like, approach the mistake as something 
that's an object of interest and fascination. And what does it mean? What do I learn? This is fantastic. You know what? So just so in like while he's rehearsing, like with small, ch small chamber orchestras, sometimes people will go, how fascinating in the middle of it when they make mistakes. And I'm like, that's a great way to deal with an inner I critic. Love that. Right. Yeah. Um, and he has another mantra that uh, is actually a little dirty, so I won't actually say what it is, but um, it's, it's, it's a BTFI. Do you remember that from the book? It's beyond the blanket. <laughs> uh, beyond oh, the yeah. blanket. Uh, yeah. You know, where it's like, throw caution to the wind, man. Like, go beyond the blanket. You okay, know? so if you are a four and you yes. have the second mm -hmm. loudest inner critic, how do you manage yours? Ah, well, I'm older now and it's, I can tell you how I dealt with it when I was younger. I used drugs and alcohol. I mean, you know, that was like one well, I'm way. sure that's very common, yeah. Yeah, and then in between the drugs and alcohol, the inner critic was even louder. So that's not a good cycle. As you can imagine, not the most productive, um, not the most productive. Uh, then then when um, that period of my life ended um, and I had to face the inner critic and the, you know, why it was there and, and all of that stuff. Um, number one, I've always been as a therapist. I've always been a big believer in finding a good therapist, which is not an easy thing, uh, because I think one of the things that has to happen is that you must externalize the voice. Mm. So, because as long as it's in your head, you think it has, people ascribe like what, what, what the, in Latin is called the vox dei in the Catholic Church, right? The voice of God. You hear it as the voice of God. Like this is yes, God. That's it has so that dangerous. kind of, yeah. yeah. You, you give it that authority, right? And so, Anthony actually just sent me a text. Tell her about the happy birthday song. I, my people are probably tired of hearing me say this, but you could try this with your clients. It sounds crazy, but it works. I tell people when they, who have an inner critic, I say, okay, can you just tell me your top 10 hits? You know, like what are the 10 things you're always criticizing yourself about? Mm -hmm. I'm a crappy mother. I'm, you know, I should have, you know, I, if I had only done this, if I'd only done this, I would, I could have gone to this grad school and become that, you know, it's like this long list. Right. And I said, great, write it out. And I make them write it out. Uh, and then if it's a client of mine, I'll say, now I want you to sing that list to the tune of happy birthday. Right. Oh. And I say, and I want you to do it in front of me. <laughs> now, you have a, you have had to establish rapport here but they look at me like what are you talking about i said don't ask me any questions i just want you to sing that list to the tune of happy birthday out loud in front of me right now and they get about halfway through the list and what do you think they do they just start laughing i'm sure they just start laughing yeah because they're listening to the absurdity the song brings absurdity and to hear themselves singing these crazy ideas to themselves, they realize that's how seriously I should take that inner critic. Yeah, that's so good. And imagine it looking like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and imagine it looking like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and, and when she gets real active, go, come here, baby. I just need to give you a hug. Okay, come <laughs> here. You just, Mrs. Doubtfire, you need a little bit of a hug, right? You need to chill. You need to chill. And that's true. Of, you know, there's no such thing as a type that doesn't, actually. I mean, some types right. have quieter inner critics. Mm -hmm. um, 
sometimes the inner, you know, it's basically what it is. It's a swollen superego is what it is, mm. right? That's what Freud would say. Yeah. Your id and your ego are being dominated by this loud mother voice, you know, archetypal or father voice doing this thing, right? Or the culture doing this thing. And um, it's just overactive. It's just an overactive superego. And so if if you can learn to sort of view it that way and just don't give it so much power just because you think something doesn't make it true, you know? So whatever, you know, go go you know, do something else with it, you know? You have a surprising secret to confidence, I'm told. I do. Okay, yeah. so what I've learned through the years is people think that confidence is something that we're just born with, like mm -hmm. brown hair or blue eyes or a third nipple. Right? I'm just seeing if you're listening. <laughs> like you either have it or you don't, right? right like some right. people are born confident. And, and sure, to some degree, there are some people that seems to have an extra bit of confidence. But confidence is something that for me, because I grew up very shy, very unsure of myself. The idea that I would ever speak in front of a crowd or run my own company was just the craziest thing I ever could have imagined. Was that the poverty thing? Um, I mean, was it growing up in that situation? Because as a seven, seven. I think so. I, so, oh no, not confident at all. And so, grew up in poverty. My father died right before I was three, so a car accident. I'm I'm almost three. My mom's in a body cast. She has no money. You know, she's grieving. And so, I grow up in this way, and that kind of marks you. I don't feel like I got into my sevenness until I was well, or my sevenness didn't come out until I was maybe late 20s, early 30s. Interesting. I know, because yeah. the question of like, who were you when you were younger and your purest form of yourself? I, I have no idea. I think life was just too hard. And it wasn't until I got a little older and things stabled out that I could become who I always was. <laughs> but the the fear of is anyone going to take care of me and am I going to be okay? That definitely marked me in my childhood. So that, you know, created the, the seven that I am now. But with confidence, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you go ahead. But I do have a question for you when you're done. Go ahead. I don't want to yeah. interrupt you. No, no, no. So what I've learned is being a shy, introverted kid who didn't have any confidence to doing what I'm doing now is that it is like anything else in our life. It's fluid and we can build it up. And we build it up just by taking action because we always think we can't do anything and we start doing it badly and we do it badly a little bit longer, a little bit longer before we know it, we do it and it's not half bad. And that's the thing when we're, when we're managing the voice of the inner critic, I think it, and we stop ourselves or we have self doubt and stop ourselves. We never get a chance to give ourselves grace to do things badly so we can become confident at it. Yes. I think so much of life is just going, I'm going to do this for a little while. It's going to suck. It's not going to work well, but I'm going to see how it goes. And before I know it, if I don't give up, I'm going to feel confident and I'm going to do it well. Mm. Love that. You know, yeah, isn't that great, Anthony? I think that um, that's that, how fascinating approach. You know what I mean? It's that, yeah. you know, okay, so I'm going to do this. It's not going to be great um, or it's going to be subpar, whatever. 
But when I make a mistake, I'm just going to internally or even externally throw my hands up in the air and just yell how fascinating that, you know, that this mistake yeah. occurred. And what am I going to do next? You know, that will make it less likely. And I think one of the things that helps is because I came up in the entrepreneurial world where the best and smartest thing we can do is fail fast and fail often. So failure is just something that's expected. You know, I, in 2011, I was part of a startup and we went through the rounds of funding and it all for one reason or another blew up and we rejected funding and the whole thing just went up in smoke. And in entrepreneurial circles, people go, that's great. You got one under your belt. But to mm. everyone else, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. It must be so terrible. When actually that's just a normal part of entrepreneurial life is you fail fast and you fail off and you figure out what doesn't work and you keep moving forward with something that will work. Mm. What a gift for, I want to say, what a gift for a seven to give the world. It's one thing for us as a four to say, hey, it's going to be painful, but it's going to be all right. It's a completely different thing for a seven to say, this is going to be painful, but it's going to be all right. I love yes. that. It is. You know, what's interesting about you, Allie, is you're a little bit like Stephen Colbert. Mm. Um, I'll take that. Yeah, right. And you're a little bit like Joe Biden, who I suspect is a seven. Um, you think he's a seven. Fascinating. Yeah, it's really possible. Uh, you, you, maybe a two, but I don't think so. I think he I think he has a lot of seven qualities. And but but what makes him what makes Colbert interesting um, is that he suffered at a young age, mm. you know, through the car accident uh, with his family, losing a sibling, losing, I can't remember if it was father or mother, he, uh, father, having then to take care of his mother who was debilitated by the experience. Yeah. See, and I think that in a way, some sevens, when you're counseling them, they'll be talking about their childhood and just randomly mention Oh, you know, my that was like around the time that my mother died in that car accident. Blah 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 blah. And they, they yeah, then, right then a T Rex came and ate my family, and exactly. then I went to school the next day. Yeah, yeah, but but I really learned a lot about dinosaurs in the process. Yeah. You know, they they reframe it, right? Yeah. Um, but some sevens, for whatever reason, actually allow the suffering unconsciously because we're little people. It just deepens us mm. and rather than so some sevens will skate along the top of an experience without ever knowing its meaning mm. I, like i think i think most people go through life not understanding the meaning of the experiences they're having you know mm. but sevens in particular they're like water bugs you know those i'm not sure what you call those anthony those bugs that oh water spiders yeah, they just kind of go like this. Yeah, they kind of just go along the surface of the water, but they never go deep. Yeah. And But sometimes life comes along and grabs you and plunges you into deep waters, whether it's, you know, uh, this car accident, mom and a body cast, and then living under a bridge, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, well, I got two choices here. I can kind of go into denial or find some unhealthy way of coping with this suffering, or I can allow it. And and then what will happen is magic. It's not pleasant, but it's magic. Hey, Typology Tribe. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for helping us bring you what I hope is great content every week. Now, you all know I'm a big proponent of counseling. 
Whether you feel like something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving certain goals, counseling is a great tool to help identify what those blocks are and then work through them. Yet finding a therapist can sometimes feel intimidating, but not with BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers online counseling at your own time and your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus text and chat with your therapist when it's convenient for you. These are licensed professional counselors who specialize in things like depression, anxiety, stress, relationships, LGBT matters, trauma, and grief. BetterHelp has counselors available worldwide and have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And get this, if you're not satisfied with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional cost. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash typology podcast. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash typology podcast. T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Watch, if you ever get a chance, on YouTube, uh, Biden Colbert interview on the Colbert show. I'll it's, watch it tonight. Yeah, okay, so it's two, it's what I think are two sevens talking about suffering and trauma wow. uh, and faith and about how those experiences changed their lives. And what you're witnessing is, for me was, brought tears to my eyes, is like, oh, these are two very evolved Enneagram 7s talking about, I, like I want every Enneagram 7 to watch that interview to say, you could be that. Mm. You, can see, you could still be a warm, funny, caring person and deep at the same time. You're not going to stop being funny if you start to deal with past pain or present pain or future pain. It's just going to make you joyful and deep. Mm. Well, you and know? I think I think I've always found myself a little too serious as a seven. I remember when when mm. I I went home from that trip to Seattle and I gave my husband your book and I said, "Look, it is me," and he said. I'm not sure. And it took him a while to see the seven mm. in me because I am way more serious than the average right. seven. So hearing you say that, it makes sense. So what's your, what's your husband's type again? He's a three. He's three, right. Funny so, story in counseling. We, years ago, we went to go see a counselor and, and we had told the counselor like all these things we had been through, the bankruptcy, the, you know, his illness, all this. And he said, you guys are an amazingly happily married couple, but you don't talk about your emotions. You just mm. hold hands and run into the future together. And we said, yes, we do. Why, why would we do anything different? And he gave <laughs> us the, the homework of having to like look at each other three times a day and to say whatever we were feeling. And we really struggled with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we had to learn as a seven and a three to, um, to figure out what we were feeling and talk about our emotions and not just run into the future together happily. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking over here right now at the subtypes of sevens. Um, and there are subtypes, uh, as you, you probably know. Do you know what your subtype is? Self-press. Totally. A lot of self-press. Yeah, that's what I would have said. Um, so, you know, the, the subtype really matters um, uh, because it gives us the nuanced kind of stuff, you know, that you're not going to get just by knowing um, the basics of our type you know, um, and, you know, you you tend to be somebody that, uh, they, they're oftentimes called uh, keepers of the castle, defenders of the castle. Uh, so things like family, group security. Um, I'm not surprised now that you said the things that are very sick about you, because as a self-preservation instinct type, mm-hmm. you would be very concerned just Let's just leave the Enneagram aside. If your dominant instinct of the three most important instincts to human beings, which is self-preservation, where do I stand in the herd? That's the second one, the social subtype. And then the sexual or one-to-one, which is where am I in relationship to my special other? All of those have to do with personal survival, right? Like one is, how am I going to keep myself alive? Second one would be, how is the group going to keep me alive, right? And the third one was going to be, how is my special other going to be there for me to keep me alive should crisis hit? We all have all three. One's dominant. If you're a self-pres, self-pres, anything can sometimes get confused with six. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you're very concerned about the basic necessities of life. Right. Like, like when you walk into a room, I'm a self-pres for. So when I walk into a room, my attention immediately migrates to things like, where's the food? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like every afternoon at two, I'll say to my wife, what's for dinner? Mm-hmm. And she's a, see, she's a sexual nine. She's like, what? It's two o'clock. And I'm like, I know, but I'm already thinking about what we're having for dinner. Or Are we going to be okay? Is food coming? What's, is it going to be delicious? Is it going to be? Yeah. Is there going to be enough? Uh, or um, I'll walk into a room and I'll go, gosh, it's hot in here or it's cold in here. I'm always thinking about things that will support my well-being. Like it's not, it's not selfish. It's just I'm worried about personal survival. So I'm thinking it's too cold. It's too hot. It's too light. And then add my four in with the aesthetics. I mean, so, <laughs> but self-preservation is such a big theme in your life and taking care of others' basic necessities to make sure everyone's going to survive so one of the one of the things I would say, would say to you is actually your self preservation instinct is probably something you have overprivileged for too much of your life, mm. and you want to bring it into balance with those two other mm. instincts. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's really I, hard we'll in twenty twenty. Oh my gosh, every and they're fluid. Like for example, you may be self pres right now, yeah. right? But if when your husband's sick, you might get to the being more of a sexual seven one-to-one you know kind of like obsessed and it's like how do we bring them all into balance so that we can call on the right instinct at the right moment and not use our dominant instinct in moments when it's not called for 
because we're over relying on it, you know? All right, you've got this brand new book, September, Standing Strong, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Adversity, Living with Confidence, coming out on Zondervan, September 2020, uh, which is 16 days from the the recording of this show. So people can, actually, it'll be out by the time this show airs. So everybody go get I'm actually going to be the one who pre-orders. So everybody else, though, can now order this uh, uh, this book. Tell everybody else where they can find out about what you're doing, how corporate consultants can find out, you know, people looking for consultants can find out. Give us all the information. Sure. I'm Allie Worthington everywhere, A-L-L-I Worthington. So Allie Worthington Show is the podcast. AllieWorthington.com is the website. And Allie Worthington on social media. Great. And because I have a funky spelled name, I'm going to give people how to spell your name. It's A-L-L-I-W-O-R-T-H-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. Uh, it's not, it is not Allie with an E or a Y. It's A-L-L-I. And uh, I just, I've had such a good time speaking with you. I, I just have thought it was fantastic. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. I was... I told you I was a little nervous. Like, what? What are you going to pull out of me? Because I'm, 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 I'm fascinated with your, with your ability to see through people. But thank you. I've learned so much. Well, I've learned so much too, as I always do when I'm with uh, other people who, who f- just human beings fascinate me. You know. Well, typology listeners, once again, thanks to Allie Worthington, and thanks to you for just being um, an integral, incredibly important uh, part of our family. And, and though we don't know the vast majority of you, uh, your presence is really palpable in my life uh, on a daily basis. And please remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Until next time. <laughs>